Blog Talk Radio. Reach the Pull up right there. You got it. Renegade. Why? Radio. I am Old Head and New Jack, swinging on the serious B-star of Sepidet. Forbidden Archaeology. Forgotten History, Divination, Magic, Cryptozoology, UFOs, Nature, Science, and Spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Greetings and welcome to Main Street Universe Radio Network. We are your hosts, Jim and Ashley Cash, and we are always delighted and honored to share with you insights, reflections, thoughts, and conversations on spirituality. Tonight we have a special guest by the name Douglas Kinney who will be joining us shortly. He is an author, spiritual hypnotist, and new thought minister, and we will be discussing his very exciting and seminal book, Frontiers of Knowledge, Scientific and Spiritual Sources for a New Era. Before we begin tonight's discussion, I'd like to take a moment for a short meditation. Feel free to lay down or sit upright in a meditative position. Let's take a couple of deep breaths. Slowly breathe in through your nose. Now slowly exhale. Be thankful for each breath. Too often we do not acknowledge our breath. We tend to have restrictive breathing and cut ourselves short from a good deep breath. So breathe deeply. Breathe in. And breathe out. Allow your body to relax. Notice if you're holding any tension anywhere. Most of us hold tension in our face, neck, and feet. Relax your eyes, your cheekbones, your lips. Are you clenching your teeth? If so, relax your jaw. Let your hands and feet Become relaxed. Let everything go. Just let go. And as you go deeper into relaxation, I'd like you to think of something that you're grateful for. Perhaps you're grateful for a loved one. Maybe you're grateful for your health, your home. Maybe you're just grateful for this moment and being alive. Whatever it is, allow yourself to feel gratitude, peace, and love. You are love. You are light. And now repeat to yourself, I am love. I am light. 
I am love. I am light. Breathe in the light. How do you wish to live your life? What experiences do you wish to have? Remember that we are only here for a short while. I say this not to make you sad, but to draw awareness to the importance of this moment, of living every moment to our fullest. So you think about that. Think about these words. We only take out what we bring into this life. We only take out what we bring into this life. What do you wish to bring into this life? What do you wish to take out? Breathe in again. Breathe out. And now slowly come back. Allow yourself to be present. And just a moment of silence before we begin. thousands of years, there have been countless debates on the nature of reality. Why are we here? Who are we? Is there a God? Is there a divine purpose to life? Or is the nature of the cosmos purely physical, random, and happenstance? In a snapshot of human history, we have gone from a God-centered worldview held up largely by Western cultural belief systems where God has been defined as a patriarchal Zeus-like figure, ready to lay the smack down for those who don't adhere to the program, to a reductionist Newtonian science-based universe where spiritual aspects of the universe have been suppressed and ignored. And from this Newtonian thought has come the scientific method that gave way to an emerging scientific paradigm that ushered in a new model of reality, where the universe is seen as linear, causal, predictable, and analyzable. For years, science and spirituality have stood apart, science often failing to see the deeper implications of the potential spiritual side of existence, and certain spiritual circles failing to see and incorporate the potential complementary aspects of science. Is it possible for a process cross-pollination process between science and spirituality, potentially giving way to an expanded and more holistic view of reality. I, for one, believe that not only is that possible, but that it's inevitable and already happening. Moreover, I believe that humanity is on the cusp of a coming revolution where new models of science will reveal that spirituality or consciousness is the underlying fabric of the universe. We're going to pause for a moment to play a song of ours. 
This is off of our self-titled EP, Woven Green. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard of it before. But it seems a, a nice way to segue Douglas Kenny. Hello, Douglas. Are you all, are you there? Yes, I'm on. Oh, oh good, good, good. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I've been looking forward to this, guys. Oh, we have very much been looking forward to it. And uh, gosh, I want, I just want to say how much I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book, um, Frontiers of Knowledge. In fact, I haven't been able to clench it out of his hands. Actually, he's been. Uh, <laughs> It's all right. I've been telling her all about it. So, uh, really, it's an exceptional book, and I think, um, you know, uniquely and elegantly present, you know, scientific and conscious anomalies and unusual phenomena and insights 
found in quantum physics, biology, cosmology, near-death experience, and re reincarnation studies, to name a few. I find it a very courageous endeavor to take on such an immense volume of material in a single book and to do so in what I think is a highly systematic way that provides a real structured overview of all these concepts. So, you know, maybe a good place to start this, discuss this discussion is to talk about some of the major anomalies that you've highlighted that have been observed in, in quantum physics and cosmology. Uh, for example, the observer effect in quantum entanglement. Okay, I'll start there. You're it's welcome to start wherever you would like. I just uh, well, I like I'll start there because quantum physics, quantum particles are the foundation or the building blocks of our universe, mm -hmm. and the physicists are very know a lot about it. I'll put it that way. They can get some of this stuff with called interaction particles uh, bouncing off each other and what creating new ones. They're like ten decimals of precision, which is just phenomenal. But there's this underlying consciousness factor that they just don't know what to make of. And this is what they call the observer effect. Here's the best way that I think that is described, and I'm just basically paraphrasing some of the good physics. The reality, the basic reality, they say, is the wave function and not the particle itself. And it's the idea this wave function is just out there potentially becoming a real particle. And it really doesn't happen, supposedly, until something is observing it. And this is what they've been struggling with for 90 years to figure out what's behind it, because this is basically underlying it all. Now, they, most of the guys that work in physics, they don't have to do, deal with this because they can do all their regular work. I'll put quotes around that without getting into this detail. But it's sort of lingering out there, and they don't know what to make of it. And I like to quote John Wheeler, a famous scientist, American scientist in the 20th century. He was uh, there almost from the very beginning with the people in Europe, 1920s till end of the century. But anyway, he came to this belief that the essence of anything is in its information. And the information came into being when the universe observed itself. That's a quote from him. So obviously the big question there is, who was observing at the beginning? Now, not all of them delve into this, but it really is an interesting question. And then we could jump into cosmology, which is the physics of our universe. And there's so many things going on. Talk about one of them at the moment. This is called the fine-tuning. Mm -hmm. Our universe is miraculously fine-tuned to, again, these kind of precisions, one point in maybe a trillion or 10 trillion. And these are things like, they talk about the ratio of the force of gravity to the, what they call the weak nuclear force. We don't really get need to get in all the details, but what it comes down to, if this was different by this factor of one in a trillion, the giant stars would not have been able to create the heavier elements like carbon. And they exploded, as you know, in supernovas and seeded the universe. So this, Carbon for us, the creating human, human, all kinds of biological life would not have existed. So that's just one of many, and I could go on and on, but I'll stop it there. But you get the idea. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at, and I'm, when I was reading <clears throat> about some of the uh, physical parameters, you know, set just right to support life, 
and how finely tuned the universe is, you know, that, this in, its, in itself suggests an intelligent design, and the idea that uh, that this all just kind of randomly happened this way seems short-sighted at best. Oh, absolutely, and I guess we're really coming to trying to come to grips with it. As I have a, as you quoted or talked about me, I have a spiritual background, including that one of my being trained in science as a system engineer and an aeronautical engineer. So I have both backgrounds, and I, I just really appreciate the fact that where we are now, at the edge of science, we call it the frontiers. That's why. I, put that in my book title. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These puzzles and anomalies are just multiplying, and we can't really uh, capture them without bringing in spirituality and especially key spiritual concepts. And I can talk about, should I tell you one of my favorites? Oh, please. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, this has to do with the concept of multiple dimensions. Think of it as subtle energy bodies. And I've come to believe and see, like others have proposed over many eons and so forth, that we cannot explain a lot of this phenomenon, especially the mind-body effects, which there are tons of them, without using subtle energy bodies. And it's like the reality of things comes from a spiritual information. Remember I talked about this information that was came into being? Mm-hmm. And this information is coming from... I, clearly believe it must be a spiritual source because when you start looking at strange mind-body phenomena, and that's one I like to use as examples, and one of my favorites is stigmata. This is where people, usually young Catholic women, have this periodic bleeding from their palms of their hands and the soles of their feet that correspond to how they envision that Jesus the Christ suffered when he was on the cross. And so they have this usually once a month, say the Catholics, because it's on a Friday or once a week. Because that's when Catholics do penance. And, and you say, how can this be happening? And there are these, I'll call them scientifically trained observers, that's what I talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. I'm quoting mm-hmm. a lot of sources. that have documented this, and they just really can't understand it. And one of them said, this is not something like creating a flow of blood to concentrate more in your palms and and your feet. It's actually it would take a super intelligence to bring this about. Mm-hmm. And this intelligence, I believe, resides in these subtle bodies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and we can visualize that how this would happen. And I actually wrote a paper on it and gave it at a scientific conference last June. Mm-hmm. This and some phenomena. And basically, it comes down to the idea they have this. Well, they have a vision of Christ's suffering, and that resides in this person's emotional body field. They have this image. You can visualize it. And then they have this trigger because of their conditioning as a Catholic to do this penance on Fridays. And say Friday morning it starts and goes for a couple of days and disappears and leaves no scar. And I described how that can happen, just the way I told you. And then there's others more phenomenal, really even stranger, but I'll... Keep it simple for tonight. Mm-hmm. So let me turn it back to you, and you can ask another question or just comment, both either of you. Oh, it's very intriguing. I mean, um, 
you know, you, you, you're talking about a belief system and the power of um, of someone who engages in that in that belief system so fully that they um, that you know they're. And I don't know what you would call that a, a sympathetic, you know, response through the, you know, uh, through the etheric field that, because of the power of belief, that that uh, that would physically manifest itself in that way. Um, it's very intriguing. Absolutely, what this about the belief being part of it, and emotions are also an energy source. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They're with imagery and and beliefs create all kinds of things that are unusual. One way to see this is who we really are. Who are we? Who, what is consciousness? Which is the big question that science, scientists and philosophers have grappled with, and there's no answer at all. Some try to say it comes out of the brain. But right. Myself, and I'm really drawing on work of a lot of these frontier scientists and biologists and psychology, and they've come to see that the brain is basically a filter. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is what it's filtering out. Mm-hmm. And mostly what it's filtering out is our soul nature so that you can be fully present in the physical world, which in the early times was critically important because otherwise you would be killed by something or you wouldn't be able to right. find the information, find the kind of things that were good for you to eat and so forth like that. So we've filtered out our spiritual part, which is the essence of our personality and our, our who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I like to say, whoever created this universe and how they created it, and especially here on Earth, they decide to play this game. Oh, you come here, and this is in the reincarnation, and you mm-hmm. forget everything you knew as a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. And you start again because you want to have this life as a in a physical being. Basically, my view on the thing is, and there are spiritual accounts of this, is that we can think of spiritual intelligence, God and and derivatives like souls, archangels. Using them, they created this universe, mm-hmm. and they decided what they wanted was to have an experience in a physical universe. So the souls have decided and created a method so how they could bring part of their spiritual their consciousness and merge it with a human animal being, which is the physicalness of us. Right. And have these experiences. Right. Yeah, yeah kind of like, um, you know, I've always kind of looked at it as, you know, when you're looking from the non-dualistic perspective of, you know, all life and consciousness being... Uh, being one or various facets of itself, you know, this is uh, consciousness trying to experience itself in um, in an infinite and multitude of ways. Yes, and we're one part of the multitude. That we'll say it the the more conscious ones, mm-hmm. but there's all kinds. Of... Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, one of the things that you mention and reference a lot, and you kind of use these terms uh, interchangeably uh, through your book as you're, uh, you know, um, talking about, you know, uh, energy fields and subtle energy fields, and it's something the mystics and sages have long maintained, 
that there's an interconnecting cosmic field that exists at the roots of reality that contain the history of every soul. And these records connect us to each other and are believed to contain, um, you know, all the symbols and archetypes and mythic stories that have heavily influenced human behavior and beliefs. And we've come to, many of us are, many of our listeners are, are familiar with that as the Akashic field. And uh, I guess similarly, um, and it's not something I'm an expert on, but um, by any means, but quantum physics have theorized about uh, the zero point field. And, um, and so, you know, I thought it was interesting that you were using those words sort of interchangeably. And I thought, um, you know, um, it'd be nice to hear, you know, a little bit of an expl- exp- explanation on those terms and, you know, describe how the, uh, the concepts of each maybe. Yes, well, I actually picked up on, let me just get it real quick here. Sure. Urban Maslow. He's a, some people would recognize, he's not super famous, but he's quite well known for his work on system theory. And he got into studying studying this stuff, and he wrote the book, it's called Science in the Akashic Field. Mm-hmm. And, in his, and he talks about it basically being... The same thing as the zero point field, okay. but it has more implications because behind it, it's from the India, Indian Akash concept mm. that there's field of intelligence. In fact, I'll, I'll give you a quote. Just give me a second to find it here. Or how he ended describing it. Well, you know what? Let's go on and I'll find it, and I'll come back to it. Basically, he was saying that the Hindus, Indian Hindus, the sages, have this belief that the essence of everything, like I was describing earlier, resides in the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. And they come into being into concrete form here as it goes through these layers of this field and can manifest itself finally into, into being. Now, Irvin Laszlo was also emphasizing another aspect of this field, and it records everything ever experienced in this universe. So he really got into that part. It's We could think of it as being related to the, the Hindu's concept of the Akashic field. Sometimes uh, different people talk about these books of life, records of our lives. These are recorded or stored in these books called the Akashic Records. And so this is this, this information exists there. So that was one of the things that Irvin Laszlo emphasized. Everything that happens recorded. But there's a lot more to, into it in terms of it's also a field that intelligence operates on. This is coming back to when I was quoting John Wheeler about the essence of it, anything is in its information. So this information exists in this field. In some way or other, it becomes expressed into our physical reality. That's a key concept, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really... Um, I just wanted to point out for uh, our listeners, anyone that's listening live and uh, anyone that may be listening to this show in the archive, that you can go on Douglas's website, which is douglaskinney.com, and you can learn about all of his work and his uh, several books that 
that he has available. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew about that because it's very exciting stuff. Well, thank you. I was wanting to mention that too. I might mention examples. I try to come up and find good examples of things occurring and existing in non-physical fields. And this one, uh, I'll call it a revolutionary biologist, Sheldrake is his last name, Rupert Sheldrake. And he came up with this idea that a lot of the basic biological information are stored in these, what he called, morphogenetic fields. And this is how you can think of our human species information and evolution is, is passed around. There, there's much more going on in biology than just genes. Right, right. This has been really seen lately by something called epigenetics. Mm-hmm. This is it's the idea that genes can be turned on different ways depending on what's happening in the environment. It's really a powerful concept. And there's a lot of research on this. It's one of the hot topics in biology right now because it's a lot more complicated than we thought. In fact, we are so incredibly complex as human creatures, our physicality and everything else that goes into it. It's it's really hard to see how it could happen by random mutation and natural selection. There's a certain amount of that going on at the people think that are called more radical at the edges, but the essence, the really basic stuff had to happen differently. I like to quote this one. I think it's the famous mathematical physicist. Penrose is his name. And he said, the likelihood of a complex species could be, a think even just a rabbit, dog, and especially humans, the likelihood of that random mutation being successful is about the same as a blind man solving the Rubik's Cube. Because what happens, you have to have the random mutation, but then it has to be both successfully adapted to what's in the environment going on be better. And it also has to be, and here's the key, it has to be able to integrate with the rest of the body that already exists. And that's just not seemingly hap- happening. That's just too much, too random. Too right, unlikely. too random. Yeah. I mean, and that goes back to, it's similar to the, the degree of the fine-tuning of the universe, too. You can see it in these subtle energy systems that you're talking about. Um it just goes on and on. And yeah. How about something maybe that would appeal to a lot of people to get them into areas that are fascinating and sort of the cutting edge of scientific exploration. And this is in the research on near-death experiences, the research into reincarnation phenomena. And in my book, I have just groups and groups of examples and these are, again, by university-trained scientists, psychologists, biologists, and psychiatrists that are really are exploring some of this stuff and finding it, say, near-death experiences, NDEs. Right. It is NDE. one of the most phenomenal things occurring in our society. Absolutely. It's pointing so clearly to a different frame of reality. And the key part in it, and this is really fantastic is that basically proves that the mind 
what we think of as the human mind as we know it. Well, first, it's not just the human mind, but we just say the human mind is non-physical. Right, right. Because these people that have the near-death experiences, they experience them saying themselves out of their body, and they have still their memories of themselves as a human being because that's what they're coming from. But they also have an expanded awareness. What I've described it, my experience was no longer limited by my physical visionary apparatus in the eyes, ice falls and all that, and how it connects into the brain. They, they give accounts of being able to see 360 degrees. They're seeing with their mind now, and they can see through our physical walls. It, I think what's going on is, again, called multiple dimensions. And seemingly what happens when you go to a higher dimension, we'll assume that they go to one, they can see what's going on here, but we can't see them or we can't hear them. Right. But they have all kinds of accounts, and this gets to these verified accounts when these people have left their bodies in some sort of an operating room set up, and then they see, or they describe what they see, and they come back, and those accounts have been verified. The people participating in the operation or whatnot Yes, that's what I did. That was said, or probably a lot of it's recorded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, can we, just for one moment, I want to remind our listeners that if they'd like to call in and join in on the conversation, um, let me go ahead and uh, give, I'll let Ashley give the number here. Um, oh, yeah, the uh, call-in number, uh, if anyone has any questions for Douglas here, is 760-542-4348. That's seven six zero five four two four three four five. You know, I'd love to talk some more about uh, some of the case studies that reported NDEs or near-death experiences. Um, you know, it's it's striking to me that um, you know there's just been a lot of research on this. Uh, you know, and I'd say you know, especially over the last twenty years or so, it really appears to be a rapidly growing field of study. Uh, I mean, we're even seeing a TV show series on this topic, um, you know, reporting on some of these case studies. Uh, there was a recent series called I Survived There and Back Again that aired on the, um, the I think it was the Biography Channel a couple of years ago. Uh, Ashley and I used to watch it, and it was uh, very intriguing. Um, we've also read some books on it ourselves. Um, what I find really enticing about, you know, uh, a great number of the individual case studies is that the narrative descriptions are usually very similar. For example, you know, uh, seeing a white light, meeting deceased relatives, receiving a life review, to name a few. So um, I'd love to talk a little bit about that and, uh, um, you know, some of the, uh, some of the phenomena that, that, that takes place with some of these near-death experiences. Okay, it can be broken down into several. I'll just take you through some of the basic steps. Obviously, the first event is the out-of-body experience, the OBE. They leave their Mm -hmm. body and look down and see their physical body. And then they start making a journey into, we think of moving in distance, but it's really into probably space and time. And in this journey, they're usually met along the way by a spiritual guide. They see it as a light, an energy. And sometimes I have accounts, one of them I'd like to give. This woman, Jan Price, was immersed in this field of energy, light. And she was 
also being energized, sort of like healed, because she had just had a heart attack. And so mm-hmm. that probably depleted her psychic energy. Mm-hmm. And she also ha- had her life review in that. And this field of energy, I think, was her guide encompassing her. I had a similar kind of case situation in one of my between lives regression cases, which is one mm-hmm. of the key things I like to talk about, how the similarity. We'll get maybe that a little bit later. Sure, sure. But, yeah. So that's one of them. And then they have met the guide, and then they enter the spiritual realm, and they usually meet deceased relatives. And they see them. Well, some here's the here's the truth of it is, in this non-physical realm, we're basically just an energy being. Right. But this person just recently came from Earth and just we'll call it temporarily died. Mm-hmm. And so they they need a little help in terms of recognition sometimes. And so these other beings there will put their appearance on their body. Say they're mm-hmm. a holographic energy being, and so they can create, I guess. The kind of appearance they want, so this newly arrived familiarity. Yeah, knows who they are. So that that's one of the things that happen. One of the big ones, meeting these realities. And then they go to places like and meet a higher being. And really it's just a more advanced being and they have given taught different things. Sometimes they go to a library where they absorb information or given information, so forth. Uh other times they might see souls involved in activities, other activities. So there's things going on there. What happens in terms of the, well, let me go back. The researchers of NDE have different scales so they can measure and sort of quantify in an approximate way how deep the experiences are. And so this one scale goes from like 1 to 30, where 15 would be sort of a medium level on it, and 30 would be really a rich and deep experience. And when you'd have the real rich, deep experiences are ones that have a lot of experiences in what I call the spiritual realm, the non-physical realm with other souls, other beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing you have to really re- recognize and remember, when we, here, let me describe it this way. Dying is a three-stage event. The first stage is losing your physical body. But you still have all your human beliefs with you. You're carrying them with you. And so we go into this non-physical realm where you sort of create with your mind and so forth. They'll tend to create what they're expecting there. So you right. get a lot of well, so different accounts. Some of the, you know, uh, archetypes, uh, archetypal images based on, you know, perhaps their religious beliefs uh, show Absolutely. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's accounts of people getting there, and you basically have the first experience of what you expect. And not all NDEs are this nice, what they call heavenly, heavenly like realm. There's a hell type realm too, which some people think that's what they deserve. They deserve because they lived a bad life. But these are only temporary experiences. It's like, especially the hell like things, like a simulation, and they quickly or eventually brought out by other souls and get to go deeper into the spiritual realm. So it's a, it's a very rich and varied experience. And so you have to be careful using what I just described, where the soul is on its in its beliefs and how much they are immersed still in their humanness. No kidding, no doubt. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I... Um and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong about this, but I, I remember reading in your book about um, you know some of the conversation that that um, 
you know, somebody might have or or hearing a voice telling them that they're creating their 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 beliefs just like they are in in the physical earth reality. Um so I find that that interesting that um you know, again, going back to the power of belief and how that affects, you know, even our near-death experience potentially. Um Anyway, well, that's, that's um, pretty good. You got a good Jim. <laughs> um, yeah, I have any questions you'd like tough. to ask? What's that? I said, do you have any questions you'd like to ask me? Um, yeah, actually, what I was um, I was curious about, you know, on your path, you know, what um, was there a particular um, trigger that led you um, to to seek, you know, this type of information, or is there a, was it a gradual process for you, or is is this something that uh, you knew that you wanted to do your whole life, or um, how would you describe, you know, what has led you into this path? Well, you know, it's a, okay, I could start back to the beginning. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when I was born, before, actually before, but say I was born, mm. I truly believe I, this was my task, this was my mission. And to do what I do, and Jim talked about it, how I integrated so much, I needed to be a system engineer. So I was born into a family where there was this sort of myth my father didn't get to complete his engineering training. So us, there were two, but where some of us older boys, my older brother Jeff started, but he was a better lawyer. He came into it. And I was an engineering, an aero engineer, but I quickly got into system stuff because that's the way my mind worked. So that got me started down that was developing that skill. But I was spiritually unawake till I had my awakening when I was 37. Mm. This oh is when I woke Yeah, I was in one of these personal growth and awareness trainings that they had. They still have. It was pretty big back in the 70s and 80s. Mine was with LifeSpring. And then on the fifth morning, I woke up real early and experienced myself as this energy sphere. Mm. So a lot of things, that really caught my attention. And then mm. we were learning a lot in the classes. And so I was said, i got to find out about this, and I went, got involved with what was one of the New Thought religions called religious science, very similar to Christian science in many ways, except it's not closed form in sense, looking for new information. And when I was studying, it was like remembering. It was like remembering. Mm -hmm. Now, since I'm always curious and had an open mind, I was always looking for things. And eventually I got hooked up with a group group of us, that had done a lot of this training, and we had a lot of people in there that were exploring different aspects. And eventually I got introduced to channeling, spiritual hypnosis, and so forth. And and I had a natural ability for hypnosis before I got really trained. So it said all started to come in together. It was in my 60s, though, before it happened. Mm-hmm. I to come together, and I had to have about five things if I was going to do this right. One was I was born with a mind that sees connections real easily, naturally, mm-hmm. and also of a quick learner. So I had to—you can imagine how I had to absorb a lot of this information and capture the essence of it. Right. So that was the second one, and then I had to get my own spiritual experiences. That was the training and being introduced to this by by friends. And then I was in in the 2000 period and. It actually really came together in 2009. I took a workshop by Neil Donald Walsh. Oh, wow. And he, and he trained us, or initiated, that's the right word, 
to do spiritual journaling. And I started doing this, and it came, started coming through, and I had this. I was doing it with my higher self at first. Later, as my energy level going up, I had the sense there was a team there. Mm. And then the only thing I had left that was to get was the hypnosis training, and, and that happened first 2000 and, 2009. I was trying to make sure I got my dates right. First getting past life training, but eventually getting the between lives training, which you read in the book, Jim, and was where I was doing training to do this hypnosis, which is basically taking a person in a past life and then starting this experiences that I started telling you about that people have in near-death experiences, basically doing it on demand. Yeah. And people got to experience themselves as a soul and how they chose their lives and so forth, why they chose a particular life. And we, it's very richer than you ever would imagine. Mostly we pick challenges. If we see the soul as like a great actor or actress, they want a variety, want challenging lives. And so we pick our challenging lives because this seems to be the reason why we have here, why why this physical place exists. It, it's a different way of learning. I'll give you an example that this happened in one of my Between Life subjects. It was actually in my training. You have to do a practicum there. This woman did, went through this stuff, and she was doing her things before what's called a council of elders. Everybody has an advisory group. And by the way, this is probably the big difference between NDEs and between lives. Right. I've only seen one or two, heard about one or two of NDE people that have a meeting before their council. But everybody mm-hmm. does in between lives. And in this, when this, she had her experience there and she was, went through that. And then I asked her, would you like to see your past lives? go to a place of learning. She says, no, they're all in front of me. I can see them. And I asked her something when she first started incarnating. She said, something like 1144, and find out what she was doing. Then I had this thing, well, what were you doing before that? And then she describes being on another physical world. It was totally different. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was different in the sense she said there were no head and heart games. It was just very, very loving easy place. I said, why did you come here? Well, there wasn't enough challenge. I wasn't learning. Wow. So so yeah. pick Earth and pick a challenging situation. I, I like it to say it this way. We come here, we forget that we are our souls created. We're God beings. We forget that. And so the whole task of this lifetime, it's like a holy grail, is to rediscover your soul nature. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating I say how they do this is through courage love forgiveness think about all the things that make a good novel don't they that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why we love them right and so I, that's I, how the soul it's got to it's got to recapture its soul quality so call it that way remember it's not a remembrance of being a soul but capture its soul qualities mm, I like to tell that story yeah, I was really intrigued, you know, reading about that because a lot of people are familiar with, you know, near-death experiences, but um, you know, a lot of people aren't that familiar with, uh, you know, hearing about, you know, uh, the in-between uh, lives, you know, regressions that take place, and and just how rich some of those accounts, um, you know, really are. I, you talked about, 
you know, the sort of familiarity as you started discovering your, your spiritual path and, and, and the stuff that resonated with you. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's how we, I think Ashley and I have always felt when we've dived into something that really, you know, resonated sort of that perennial wisdom, uh, you know, that there was, there was something, something there that we've always known. And, uh, and maybe that really is, you know, part of, uh, the in-between, uh, you know, memory that you're talking about, because if I recall correctly in reading about some of the, those accounts, um, you know, there's actually like a bit of schooling that takes place. There's, um, Oh yes. And in, think, think of it that I use the term the spiritual realm. You could, you could mm-hmm. call it heaven, but it, it has a lot of connotations Sure. With the, right. the spiritual realm, it's a highly organized place. Right. And in, and there's organized in different principles, and one of them is the growth of our energy consciousness. I use that term. Right. It, you can understand it as think of the spectrum all the way. I use the term source God, initial creation, creating the first initial souls, which some of the Abrahamic religions would call the grand angels or so forth that yeah, are involved. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. are like and those. And all the way down to the beginning souls and so there's who knows how many layers or levels. And and the task for souls is to develop their energy consciousness. And so the whole organization of what we know about this I call it the lower spiritual realm that Michael Newton did so much work and so many people that he had done this work with. And it also is very consistent with near-death experiences of giving us insight into this. And basically, it's he's mapped out what I call the sociology of this, which is a powerful concept. What the beings are doing, how they interact with this, how it's organized, what's the basic purpose of it, and so forth. It's just that's amazing account. I give you yeah, people truly. in my book a, a good flavor of that. I introduce it and describe how it was developed. And then I give this one chapter, chapter eight in Frontiers, which is discoveries from between lives regression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, listen, I what I'd like to do at this point is just um uh, I want to take a quick break. We wanna um uh just remind uh, our listeners once again that if they want to call in uh they can to this number. Uh, that's, that's great. And uh, what we're going to do is just take a quick break, and we're going to play uh, another one of our songs, and then we'll return to discuss a little bit more about. Uh, um, I'd love to continue the conversation about um, both, you know, some of the near-death experience, uh, you know, studies in particular. I want to talk about Pam Reynolds. Uh, you know, in D case and why her case is particularly unique and and, uh, and challenges the uh, you know so-called status quo within the scientific community about you know uh, their arguments you know for uh, uh, against you know what the uh, you know spiritualist term near-death experience. But um, anyways, we'll, we will get back to that here in a moment, and uh, just stay with us here, and uh, we'll play a, a song of ours, and we'll come back to continue with this very exciting conversation. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back. That was our song, Subatomic Overdrive, which we played at Tally Ho Theater. Um, that was back in 2013 uh, on October 5th. Um, Douglas, um, we I just wanted to uh, let you know here that, um, you know, we are somewhat uh, new to uh, blog talk radio uh, parameters and how that works. And um, we, we, we made a mistake here in, in setting the show. We can set the, the time parameters on the show. We, we ended up setting the show for uh, 60 minutes. So, unfortunately, what that means is that it's going to cut us off here in another couple minutes. Um, so we're going to have to have you back, and we're going to have to do a part two. And uh, we won't make that mistake again. We will, uh, we will set the parameters to make sure that it, we get at least, you know, uh, 90, minutes. 90 minutes instead of 60. That was uh, our fault. I'm so sorry. Um, is there anything that you'd like to say to uh, conclude here before it shuts us off? No, nothing really jumps out. I, I think I've hit all all the high points. Oh, I did want to say one more thing about the nature of consciousness in, in the mind. There's some phenomenal results or information coming in. I'd like to tell out the one of people who have heart transplants and some of the other organs. A fair fraction of those end up getting memories and personality traits from their donor transplanted, which just tells you something amazing about the nature of the mind, that it permeates and encompasses then the whole body and the different organs. So that's a phenomenon. It also reinforces this idea that the mind is much more than the brain. Right. That was really, really fascinating. Uh, it, it was something that I wanted to talk to you about, also talking about the Heart Math Institute. We are absolutely going to have to uh, have you on again. It's about ready to cut us off here, Douglas. I'm so sorry that um, that has happened here, but um, I think our our, our listeners have gotten a really, really, really great taste of what an excellent uh, you have. Um, and again, that book is The Frontiers of Knowledge, Scientific Spiritual Sources for a New Era, written by Douglas Kinney. And Douglas, you want to shoot your web address out to us real quick? Yes. it's uh, my, my web address, address is douglaskinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y, dot com. And so I try to blog once or twice a week, and so I'll have some more information Always there. New stuff every week. Awesome. Awesome. So please check out his website. And, um, Douglas, we will be in touch here real soon to uh, talk about having you back on. We'd love to uh, continue this conversation. There's so much more uh, I'd like to ask you about. Um, so uh, really um, a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Um, let's talk here soon. And um, any closing words? No, just thank you both for having me on. You bet. All right. Thanks so much, Douglas. We'll talk here real soon.